My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Jason Butler. Jason has 20 years of executive leadership experience in community-facing organizations. Now he is a keynote speaker and leadership coach that works with corporate executives to strengthen their culture, increase belonging, and expand their influence through the power of servant leadership. He holds a master's in intercultural studies, a doctorate in leadership from Duke University, and is the author of The Village Mindset. And, uh, you know, Anybody that's been listening to this show knows the importance of servant leadership. We've talked a lot about it. Um, it's just awesome. Whenever I get an opportunity to to talk with somebody that is uh, as passionate, if not more passionate about leadership as me. And, um, you know, I, I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Jason, and uh, really appreciate uh what we're going to dig into. So uh, welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be on. So uh, let's, let's start off in the beginning with, you know, where you were born and raised and and maybe some of your early influences. Yeah. Born and raised back in the day I was, so I kind of grew up in two places, a little bit in North Carolina um, and, and in the mountains of Virginia kind of near Blacksburg. So a little bit of both. We were on the move a little bit as a family and my high school years were spent up in a Virginia, a little town, a little small town in Appalachia. So I'm a small town country kid at heart. Yeah. Nice. And what did your parents do? Um, my mom, she did all sorts of things and my dad, well, he did all sorts of things too. So they didn't really, back in the day, they didn't really have careers. They were just working, right? They were just they were just working folks, um, blue collar you know, folks, just making a living. And then mom and my mom and dad split up. And that's when we moved back to where my mom grew up. And she uh, became a nurse later on. As you know, I was a little bit older. She became a nurse. That's where she worked most of the time, worked night shifts. Uh, I'm, I'm all my life. I'm the oldest of four. So mom working night shifts, sometimes two jobs as a single mom. And I was really, in a lot of ways, ran the Ran the household in in some ways, you know, cooked a lot of dinners. They weren't great dinners, you know, macaroni <laughs> and cheese and hot dogs, but, you know, did laundry. I was with with four kids and I was the oldest, really relied upon to kind of grow up fast and take a lot of responsibility early. With that experience, you know, having that uh, responsibility uh, to really help your mother and, and you know, help your siblings, um, I mean, that's really the earliest leadership kind of development that, that you receive, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's where the, the formation started and really to help people. And so I'm a, I'm a helper. I am, I wouldn't say I'm a, like a, a interpersonal helper, but I am a helper that wants to work in systems. And so that's really what I think about is like, how do we create a system that helps people flourish and thrive? And, but, but that, that's, that's my, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm on this. That's my purpose is to help other people. And so I have this, like, I have this rule in my life. If somebody asks me for help, 
and I'm able to help, I do it. Like always, I'll, I'll help you if you ask me, even if you ask me to move uh, from your third floor apartment, I will help you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in high school, um, did you play sports? Did, did you do yep. any of that stuff? Yeah, I was into sports, uh, basketball, football early on, not not late high school, but early on. I played basketball. I was into soccer, played baseball for a while. You know, I was I was all into sports for sure. And always the sort of leader, right? Like the, the captain, the leader of sorts. And so I've, I've always, as I've grown up, I've always been in that leadership mode. I, I think I, you know, I, I have a confidence about me. I, it's, it's not cocky, but just like, hey, I, I can do this. I can accomplish this. It carried that over into college. I didn't play college athletics, but um, was always a, a leader in the, the sort of places that we played and later on, you know, and, that, and so I became from that, I, I was really drawn into, I was, I was a pastor for 20 years. So I was in the church for a long time because that makes sense, right? Like you're, you're help, helping people and then you're, you know, you move, you're a leader, you're a community leader, you're driven to help people. And then, you know, the church is one of those spaces that um, ideally, right? Like suppose like when, when the church is at its best is really, helping people along on their journey, helping people find, figure out life, helping people to thrive, helping people to, to build community. And so those, those are the things that I, that I led in. And that led me to a lot of nonprofit work. I was, you know, I lived with uh, orphans in Russia for a couple of years. I was engaged in some incredible nonprofit work in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, so that, that, that really has been my, my space of how can I, leverage my talents, knowledge, resources, abilities in order to help other people in their journey, in their life. So did you go into seminary right out of high school? Well, I went to college, um, you know, and then later on, I spent a little bit in Russia after that. Then I I went um, to seminary. Yep. In Kentucky. Yeah. And, and how did, how did you end up with that as a trajectory or as a path was it something uh, from your experience in Russia that that led you to go into the seminary no it's something I I wanted to do I knew it pretty early it's one of those one of those things right I knew pretty early that that's that was what I wanted to do in life um, or at least in that portion of my life and that was my goal and when I'm set out on a goal, like we're going to accomplish this, we're going to do it, we're going to make it happen. And that was just always sort of even as a teenager where I where I thought like I could do the most good. I could do really good here. And, you know, at, even as a kid, I, I like as a teenager, I was in my small town, Appalachia. I mean, we were poor. Like It was a poor town. And I was organizing Thanksgiving meals, handouts across the county for collecting boxes of food and delivering them to people who um, needed that. So like, I've always been this sort of entrepreneurial uh, leader for people, not so much entrepreneurial in the business world, but entrepreneurial for helping people to get the resources they need and figuring out creative solutions to help people thrive. That was the, the trip to Russia, the time that you spent in Russia, was that connected to a, a church um, yep. Yeah, okay. it, it, it was. Yeah, we did. I did that uh, ministry there. I ended up living with in an orphanage or right around an orphanage for a couple of years. And that was um, an eye opening experience for sure. Um, 
Yeah, can can you talk a little bit about that? Because uh, you know, I, I don't think that too many people are familiar with what life is like in an orphanage, let alone an orphanage in in Russia. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal, man. It's um, it's a whole different world. I mean, we, the place we were living was, and this was in the late nineties and like ninety nine, two thousand, uh, and so we're there. This orphanage is in a really remote village, way out, away from the cities. And this is really where they they sent the the kids, the teenagers, um, the young teens, the tweens, and the teenagers. That I mean, it's intentional, right? We got to get these kids away from everything um, because they they live rough lives, and they're all of this trauma that that they were experiencing from their childhoods. I mean, the stories that we would hear that no family or their family was abusive. And, you know, here you go into this orphanage with very little resources. Your food was scarce. It was like Lord, Lord of the Flies, every person for themselves. Like we're, it's dog eat dog kind of system. And here are these kids thrown into that world and they just have to, they have to live. You have to survive. So survival mechanism taken over. Um, and I got to do what I got to do to, to eat, to survive at, at like 13 and 14, you're way too early kind of to be experiencing this. And so all those kind of, trauma and 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 experiences and and pathways being built and i was just there you know we were there to really kind of um love <laughs> to show them love like very kids who had not experienced love it really in their life not parental love the directors i mean they were overwhelmed and they were just working there and so that that wasn't love so really we were there just to kind of be warm be be emotionally accepting um love them help them thrive, talk to them. And so that's, that's what we did. And, and I'm guessing that you were probably in, in your early twenties, mid twenties. Yep. yep. Early twenties at that point. And, yeah. and how did you adjust to that? Cause I'm sure that not all of those kids were, were the best or most no, pleasant to be at all. <laughs> not at all. So you, you, you kind of had to learn the ropes, right? You, um, because you had to learn how to engage when, when you were going to be taken advantage of when to, when you, when you weren't going to be taken advantage of, because these kids like, that's all they knew, right? Take advantage and, and to get what I need to get to, in order to thrive, in order to survive. And so you had to kind of sometimes really strong boundaries about what you could do or what you didn't do. Um, but always sort of be a positive force for them. And I think the hardest point for me was coming back. You know, you, you spent this time here and then you come back to, quote unquote normal life back in America now, that was that was a tough transition I had like a reverse culture shock there that 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 experience but like here we are you know I've been living in this orphanage with these hurting teenagers and now I'm we're like I need to go to the grocery store and we just people are just working and living their life and doing their things and going to weddings and and here I'm just out of this intense experience of survival <laughs> and then you come back and it's not survival anymore for most, most of American life. So did you go right into seminary when yep. you returned? Mm -hmm. And and that was, was that the plan all along that when yep. you finished in Russia, you returned? Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. That was the plan. And can you talk a little bit about your experience in the seminary? Yeah. Um, I, Cause man, I'm not real familiar with, with what mm -hmm. that curriculum is. Mm -hmm. um, how is that? as opposed to like just a traditional college education, you know, with some Bible thrown in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I had the, I had the college, you know, went to college for four years and then you go to, it's, it's basically working on your master's degree um, here. And it, it's just like that. It's a master's degree curriculum. 
Um, my, my focus was intercultural study. So it wasn't so much of like, I was thinking about the Bible and theology, but really how, how do, how do cultures work? And that's, that's really was my focus um, to, because that, that's where I was coming out of. I was coming out of a culture and a missionary sort of situation. And that's really what I wanted to focus on. And it, it became extremely helpful to me later on, um, you know, having the, the focus on culture, because you know, all of us, even in America, we have certain cultures and we see that happening right now in, across America. Right. And in so many sort of subcultures we have, um, you know, we, we label them as certain aspects of like liberal, conservative, um, white culture, black culture, like all these different sort of cultures that we have, celebrity culture. And all these are intersecting. In, in our worlds all the time they're coming together and they're genuinely different cultures and um so, so if, if we like thought of like norwegians and swedens and germans kind of coming together like they have different experiences they have different ways of thinking they have different expectations for the world and so you know that sort of mindset is the the, the way that i approach life in a lot of ways um instead of instead of seeing the labels as a like, oh, they're such and such. And they're, you know, I know all about them. It's like they have a rich sort of under, they have a certain understanding of the world. And this has been their experience. And now they're coming to this experience with that way of seeing the world. And how can I understand them? How can I connect with them? What, what, what are the values that they hold that are the most important to them? And then how can I um, also value those values? And so this, this, this focus on culture has been so beautiful to me over the over the course of my life when you finished in the seminary did you then go and lead a church or did you go into missionary work or you know how did yep. that play out yeah moved up to wisconsin um so southern boy in wisconsin and it is cold Whew, man and <laughs> so up there in and through just a course of a couple of years found myself in milwaukee in downtown kind of a very urban milwaukee started a church there it was a church plant and was there for 10 years and you know our our real focus kind of coming out of that was how do we as a church engage in the needs of those who are living in poverty and um and and so how do we how do we mentor kids how do we create systems that um connect business leaders with uh, kids who are living kind of you know in the central city who are very poor um and not a lot of resources. How do we connect business leaders to mentorship opportunities for them to really begin help them to begin to understand? Wow, there, there's there's a different world. I can be this thing. Um, here's what I need to do. And so we were all about how do we open doors? How do we make connections? And how do we build community for people who are living in poverty? And in the Milwaukee area, would some of those lower income uh, families be from my experience, and this is years ago, uh, I, I spent some time in Milwaukee when I was yeah, in the cool. Navy, and cool. it, there's a, a a larger uh, Native American population there than than what I've experienced in other big cities. Mm -hmm. um, was was that one of the populations you dealt with? No, we didn't. We didn't work with. Um, we didn't work with any indigenous folks there, any, any Native Americans. No, our our primarily we were we were working in um, kind of on the 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 line to where the predominant black community became moved over into a more white community. So we were in that line right there of delineation, and so interesting to see those 
this different talk about cultures, right? There's different cultures sort of intersecting in this space. And how did you find your yourself being able to connect with the African American community there in, in Milwaukee? Yeah, it's just a lot of learning. It's a lot, a lot of learning, a lot of listening. Um, so always entering into spaces and conversations, not as the expert, but as the novice. Like, I don't know your world. I don't know your experiences. I don't know the way that you interact with the world or understand the world. And I don't know how your life has been. And because my life has been one way, but your life has been another. And so really entering in as a learner to try to understand people's experiences, people, why do people react the way they react? Why do people um, it's because of their experience, right? They've had a certain experience in a certain direction and that has formed how they interact with the world. And so for me, uh, uh, you know, coming in as a not native and like, okay, I want to learn and genuinely I want to learn. It's not just like, I want to learn so I can do something for you or get something out of it. Like, no, genuinely, I really want to understand because I want to connect with you and I want to value what you value. And so really through that experience was just so rich and beautiful for me to learn another culture and to value that culture in a way that I hadn't before. How did you find yourself being of service to that community? Mm -hmm. the, the, the biggest way that I was of service was the, to bring my networks with me. Right. So um, they, they've done studies. Th these are really cool studies about, um, what helps people out of poverty the most? Like what pieces? And and it's all about networks. It's not about um, it, 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 some about programs, but it's about networks. When I when people in poverty are connected to and have relationship with people in a network that is not in poverty, then and that's a genuine relationship. People are vastly more likely to have the resources and the networks to elevate themselves. Right. So when we talk about poverty, a lot of people probably think poverty is really a lack of money, which it is. But why? Why, why is it lack of money? Because there's not networks there. There's not networks for their advancement. There, there's just roadblocks everywhere. And so when you begin to take away those roadblocks and, and allow them to lift themselves up, they totally can. And we found so many times people can. But it's just they don't have the access to the networks. The communities don't. And so that, that's that's what we did. We we helped build connections to new networks for people. So what I'm hearing you say, and this is like such a, a really cool leadership lesson right here, talking about the importance of connecting with the people that you're, you're trying to lead and you're mm -hmm. leading them to success. Yes. Mm -hmm. And their version of success. What is it that they value? And mm -hmm. the only way that you can lead somebody to their version of success is to understand yep. who they are and their values. And mm -hmm. to have that emotional intelligence, that level of emotional intelligence, to be able to humble yourself and, and be the student in order to better help people, um, like that didn't just come out of nowhere like I, i'm wondering where this came from like there must have been several lessons along the way that really solidified that approach to leadership yeah i think for me it began i probably with like my anthropology professor in seminary you know talking about how do we understand other people and how do 
know, we understand other tribes, other cultures, and it's, it's always this sense of a learner. And, and so in the, in the long run, like I, I sometimes say that all, all interest is self-interest and people are like, nah, it's not, you know, but, but like, okay, it kind of is right. So I'm self-interested to, to be able to accomplish this thing I'm setting out to. And how do I do that? Well, the really the best way is to be a learner because the most effective strategies that you're going to develop is that you understand the scenario that you're working in and you understand the people that you're working with. And so to develop the best strategies for growth, for, um, for profit, you know, if we want to turn over to the business world, you got to understand what you're dealing with. You, you need the data to be able to know this is, this is how, what people value. This is what people want. Um, and this is how people historically have interacted with the world. And, and, but from that extrapolation, you understand here's what they need. Um, cause you know them and you listen to them. And so like, that, that's that's one of the biggest lessons leaders can learn. It's, it, corporate leaders as well. Any any leaders is to know to become a learner from your people. And when you do, when you approach it that way, you you're approaching like with humility, and 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 so people are much more likely to give you honest responses. And because they're not, they they know you're not going to you're not there to take advantage of them, right? And so that's like the that's the switch of servant leadership. Really, what we have to make. In our, in our transformation leadership is we have to help people's brain to move from your threat to I can trust you because like our brains are like, I, I'm not going to trust you. Like, why, why would I open myself up to you? You're just going to use that knowledge to benefit yourself and I'm going to be left out in the cold. So we have to switch that. And the best way to do that is learn. So for me, really like through seminary and through my experiences of, of working in other cultures and realizing if I don't learn this culture, I, I'm, I'm out in the cold. Like I can't do anything here unless I am, and take the position of a learner. But when I do that, people invite you in. And then when you're in now you're in, right. And then you can, then, then you can bring good. In in your role now, you help others develop those skills. Yeah. And how do you, how do you go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's all about this mindset where we, we, we have to shift our mindset in, in a couple of different ways. Like we, we've been told, right, to get ahead, you got to push other people down. And that's, that's a lot of executive leadership in the corporate world is people have risen by sort of pushing other people out of the way, taking advantage of the situation. And, and like, but once you get towards the top, you can't push anybody out in the way anymore, right? So there's nobody to push anymore. And so now you're kind of left with just you. And how are you going to operate now? And if you've operated in a way just to push people down to get ahead, now you're at the top and you need people. You need people to, to now excel that you're, you're going to have a hard time. So making that switch from what I call like a, I, I use Coach K in this analogy and in, in my work, moving from a, a program coach to a player's coach. And what I mean by that is like, you know, coach K made this transition uh, and he, back in the day where, um, you know, it was all about the program Duke, you know, right. Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner, you come into the program and with the program will make you great. You serve the program. But then later on, you know, as, as culture change and rules change, NBA change. Right. And so they like one and done now kids only have to go for one year. Right. And, and so, 
Coach K was reluctant to recruit those players, the best players in the world. He was reluctant to recruit them because they weren't going to be for the program. They, they weren't going to be there for three or four years and build up the program. And he couldn't win. He, he lost. You know, he couldn't win national championships. And he made a, he made a shift from pro- program to player. And now he made this agreement sort of, um, I'll recruit the very best players in the world. And I know they're only going to be there for one year, just one year. And that's okay. And he said, I'm going to make you the very best player you can be. I'm going to use all of my talent, resources, networks, my experience, and I'm going to coach you, and I'm going to make you the best player. I'm going to get you to the next level to the NBA. And, and it's not about the program anymore. It's about the player, all about the player. And what happened? He won, right? He won, and he won, and he won, and he won, and he won, because he made that shift. This is not about the program. This is about the program making the player better. And we're going to use all the resources of the program and the coach to enhance the life of the player. And so, and that elevated the program and the program benefited. And so that's the shift that we have to make in leadership moving from like, is, is this company about the company and like, well, you came to work here and you should be thankful for your company. Like, no, you, you're, you're not going to succeed probably. But if your company is using its resources to make the, the, the employees better, like we're here to make you better and we're going to help you whatever you need. We're going to give you the resources, network development. We're going to introduce you to new people um, so that you can advance in your career. Everybody's going to work there. Like we're going to be like, yes, I want to work with that leader. He's going to make me better because all interest, self-interest. And, and that's going to help your company rise and your leadership rise. It's really interesting. There's so many parallels. I, I wrote about this concept in my book, uh, selfish altruism. Uh so where you are working very hard at developing yourself, whether it's about learning the value of the culture that you're leading, mm-hmm. learning about the people that you're leading, finding about their values, but seeing how best you can help them or serve them, and then really developing those skills within yourself to better serve them. Mm-hmm. And when you're better able to add value to that team and give of yourself freely and really develop the team, develop all of them. Um, They're going to model that behavior and add value to the team. Mm -hmm. They're going to add value to themselves as well. Mm -hmm. And then you have this unstoppable team where what you produce, the the level of achievement uh, is incredible. Mm -hmm. And you as a leader benefit immensely. And you know that you're going to because that works. That mm-hmm. model works every time, all the time. It, it it when you put others ahead of yourself, yep. you're going to achieve a level of fulfillment just by putting other people first. That's right. And there's actually this wonderful, this great book. I use it all the time. I write about it that that it can, that uses like what you just said, right? So the the book title, the the power paradox. And so this guy. Um, it was is a PhD researcher at Berkeley, and he wrote this book. He studied power for 20 years, like as a researcher, and, and asked the question: How do people gain power in society? Like, how do people become leaders in society or in business? And his conclusion was exactly what you were talking about. His conclusion is: the leaders in society are the ones that help others become better, and because they're helping others become better, we trust them and we give them our resources, and that elevates the leader. And so you want to become, you want to rise as in your leadership, do it exactly what you said with help others thrive, help others in their leadership, help others become better versions of themselves. And that will increase your capacity and people will lift you up. Will you repeat the name of that book? 
power of the the power paradox. The power paradox. Mm-hmm. Now, since we're on books, let's dig into yours. Um, you know the the I think we've been kind of talking about it a little mm-hmm. bit. The the village mindset. Um, can can you talk about well first what inspired you to write the book and then who did you write the book for? Yeah, the village mindset. And then, you know, some people are like, this has nothing to do with Hillary Clinton. Okay. Like, right. So let's, let's like, um, this is an old proverb from Africa. Like it takes a village as old. Um, so like the, the, the real function of the book is to change our mindset and, and to really see the benefit of a village life and moving us back into where we feel comfortable, like right in a village, everybody is seen, known and valued. And so that's really what I'm trying to create in this book is servant leadership that it, it, that creates belonging. And belonging is a buzzword, you know, in the in the in the employee workforce world. And basically just means like we feel a sense that we belong here, that we are valued for who we are. And we know that the, our leaders want us to there. And so how do we create that in our workplaces? And to me, it's all about servant leadership and servant leadership is not about um, bringing bringing your employee coffee. It's about empowering them to be the best that they possibly can. And so all that you're talking about, what I've been talking about. And so, you know, there's there's five principles of the village mindset that I talk about. The first is empowerment. The the next is connection. The next is um, support. And then we talk about purpose and social investment. So like we're giving of ourselves out into the world. We're empowering. We're creating systems of support for our employees and our communities. We're connecting, um, and and a term that I use is collisions here that in connections. And what that is is like getting people together and allowing them to generate ideas together around a common uh, a common interest, right? So you, you know, if it, 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 when people get together and they just start, they they're comfortable with one another and they just start brainstorming. It just builds this connection between two people when they have a, an idea that's birthed out of the, their both kind of efforts. And that creates so much community in that. And then purpose. Um, we, we Stats show that um, employees will take $20,000 less in yearly salary to work at a company that they feel a strong sense of purpose for. So, oh, I mean, that's huge in terms of employee engagement and retention. And then social investment, they're making sure that our work, our companies are investing in our communities because that creates also purpose and that creates connection with the communities and that creates. So it's like this cycle that just goes around and around. So really that's sort of the, the, the what I talk about, you know, my background is inspiration. Let's inspire people. Let's live for something bigger than ourselves. Let's help one another thrive. And so I took the the years of 20 years of leadership, community leadership experience that I've, I've learned all these things. And, and in a post-COVID world, like COVID just messed us up, you know, like, wow, this everything's different. And so what we found was it, leaders are having trouble connecting with their employees. Well, because like, you had this model of profit over people for so long, but that's not going to work anymore. So you need to change that. And so taking the leadership principles of community leadership where no, no one gave me anything, you know, I didn't have any salary to offer people. I had to earn people's trust. I, I had to earn people's engagement. 
And so taking those principles, putting them in a book and helping corporate America to really embrace the emotional intelligence, the servant leadership, um, and focusing on people's wellness and well-being and thriving and bringing that and just watching your, your, your company thrive and your leadership thrive in that space. Can you walk me through those steps again? You said empowerment. Yep. Empowerment, support, connection, purpose, and social investment. Love it. The empowerment, and this goes to the power paradox. It goes to Mm -hmm. uh, what you were talking about with Coach K, um, the empowerment piece of, you know, the more power you give away, the more powerful you become. Yep, that's right. And and then the purpose piece. I, I've talked about this a little bit myself. I, I'm I'm curious your approach on helping others find their purpose. Mm-hmm. Is it is it that the the organization uh, shows? the employees, the teams, what the main purpose of, and they can become a part of it? Or is it more in alignment with the overall purpose that that most of the people, are they all aligned with their own personal purpose? No, I don't, I don't think it has to be right. I think as long as there's purpose and and that can be that that can be different purposes. Everybody has to feel like I've got a different purpose than you and you got a different purpose. But like they're in a in an ecosystem, in a system that also values purpose. And so like so if you're working for a company or whatever, and so that company was like, our goal is to make profits, but also to do this thing out in the community, whatever that is. And so that, that's the reason we exist. And so people are going to engage in that. Some people are going to really resonate with it and be like, I love this. This is my, this is, I'm making my, this my purpose. And some people aren't going to resonate with it, but that's okay. Because we're still, those efforts and energies are going outside of the company for other people and helping other people. So that creates this culture within the whole organization that we help people. Yep. We, we make profits, but we also help people. And so what that does is that inspires people. Maybe that's not your thing, right? Maybe whatever that company does is not your thing, but it's inspiring you to embrace your thing. So now you're like, you're, you're like, oh, wow, I love how the effects of this. I love how it feels to my brain, to my body. I'm going to go out and do this thing that I've always been passionate about, but never done it. And so like that just creates this beautiful uplift, like a, you know, like a spiral of uplift for the whole, for the whole base, the whole company. I want to, so I'm going to ask you a quick, this is another thing that I've talked about. And, you know, when I left the fire service, you know, I had this uh, kind of identity crisis where, you know, I was no longer uh, a firefighter, a, a battalion chief, you know, I was, I was just Dave. You know, that was kind of like so depressing to me. You know, I was no longer uh, what I had worked so hard to become. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, that uh, misunderstanding of Mm -hmm. the reality Mm -hmm. of it, where my purpose was still the same. The the fire department was just a mechanism where I could express Mm -hmm. those values, what I what my purpose was and that was to help others yeah you know be be the person that helps people on their worst day Mm. 
but not only that, in, in my roles throughout my career, I was helping other firefighters develop so that they could better serve the community. And being able to add value to other people, I, I feel like, and this is something that happened when I was really trying to dig deep and, and like figure out my identity, like who I was. And, and this is through digging in into philosophy, religion, and throughout human history, I feel like it's, it's been hardwired into us in our, in our value systems that when we put others ahead of ourselves, the community thrives. And if we can be that person that is adding value, then our, our inner sense of fulfillment is much greater than if we're operating in a self-serving way. Absolutely. 100% yes yes to all of that absolutely like we that's that's when our brains work right I talk about compassion and I talk about compassion from a scientific point of view and um, I, I I love it I, I talk about it all the time and so like we I believe that we're biologically evolutionarily wired you know I don't know what you think about evolution listeners out there whatever but biologically we are wired for compassion and so we have this vagus nerve. I, I, you don't know if you're, we have a vagus nerve that runs from our brain and it runs all throughout our body and, to, and connects to every major organ, our heart, our lungs, our liver, our intestines. Our, and so like when we operate, when we do a compassionate act, right? When you do something compassionate, how do you feel? You, you feel great, right? You feel great. And that's because that's, that the brain is releasing a, a positive hormone all throughout your body. And so- they, they've done studies and they show when you do compassionate acts, your blood pressure goes down, your intestines work, your digestion works better, your heart rate slows down, um, you're less likely to get sick, you're, you speak better, um, more clearly, more functional, and actually when you do compassionate acts, people like you more. Your likability goes up because like we're, this is what our biology is based on is compassion. Like, right. We, we, we think like survival of the strongest. No, because if it was survival strongest, we just have like three strong dudes out there in the world. Like, that would be <laughs> it. Right. Um, you and two other guys. Right. <laughs> um, but that's not we, we're the survival of the most compassionate, because when we're compassionate, we nurture people, we care for them, we lift them up and we thrive and we excel. And that that's the way our biology is wired. Literally, we're wired to be compassionate. And it's interesting because, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of type A personalities through, you know, the military, law enforcement, fire department, you know, big burly guys that, you know, man's man, right? Mm -hmm. That, I believe, evolved from that protective mindset where... I am going to defend my community. It's an act of compassion mm -hmm. to develop yourself in that way. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of times people view it as intimidating, but I, I feel like a lot of those big burly guys are some of the biggest teddy bears, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And it can go either way, right? Like we, we, we see some of those guys like you're talking about are, are like they're protectors. They're the protectors of our communities. Um, and that's the way that it's supposed to be, to use your gifts and to, to help a community thrive 
by being a protector. But, you know, we also see it kind of the other way that people, maybe they're not um, big and burly, but they they've got the, the the brain works and and they can they can go out and they're so talented. But sometimes they use that on themselves. Right. They use it just to benefit themselves. And, and that's when that's when society begins to go haywire. And that's actually the paradox of power in which he talks about, like when people get to the top, oftentimes we see this in politics all the time. Right. Like they were a good guy until they did start doing this and they just became all corrupt and they just thought about themselves. And uh, like that's what happens. Oftentimes when we get to the top, we stop helping other people thrive. And that's when everything begins to break down. I'm I'm curious to get your perspective on this this piece here. Um, you know, a lot of times I talk about uh, mental health and and PTSD and really effective self leadership and recognizing when you need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your role as a pastor, as you know, doing missionary work, some of the things that you've seen. I'm sure had a traumatic effect on you mm-hmm. and through the years when you've worked to, you know, train other pastors or develop other pastors or missionary uh, people, how did you prepare them for that kind of experience? Mm. You know, I think um, if, for me, it's, it's always been helping people to, realize that you need help and and whatever whatever that whatever that spectrum is right you are not the you don't know everything there is to know you you don't have all the strength there is in the world and you're you're going to need help in this in this process and really being open to that i think you know kind of like i mean i'm I'm not a psychiatrist or a scientist but i think in my experience you know you see oftentimes i think about men specifically that we sort of live in a culture of manhood here in America, where especially, you know, in like military and other service providers, where it's it's sort of you feel like um, I can't ask for help because if I ask for help, then I'm not being manly. Right. I'm not. That's not what a man does. But it, but it is actually right. Like so like for us to ask for help so that we can be the best so that we can help other people, because that's that's what if, if we can't if we're not getting the help we need, we can't help other people because we're, we're, we have a block there. And so, so many times in counseling men and working, working with folks of like, always be a learner that that's, that's the space. Always be open to help. When somebody has advice for you, don't be offended at it. Be open to it. When, when somebody has a suggestion for you, don't be offended at it and think like you're, you're not adequate. You are just receive it. And, and think like, okay, th- that, that could make me better for my people. That can make me a better human, a better protector, better whatever it is. And so I, I think for me, it always been like helping people open themselves up to help and, and humility, right? And, and understanding like we, we all need each other out here um, in, in so many different ways. Awesome. And I, I just, I wanted to circle back to, who is the primary audience that you wrote your book for? Yeah, for me, it's it's those corporate executives that are working in the business world that um, you know are are experiencing COVID and in a business world with lots of employees 
and things don't work the way that they used to. <laughs> and people have different expectations. People have different desires now. Um, how do we how do we make these really tough decisions of hybrid work um, it benefits for people? How do we how do we operate our culture and our business in this world that's now different? COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of people, and and we're not going back to the way that it was. So how then do we adjust? And so for me, that the way to adjust is to be a learner, right? To learn people, to invest in people, to be compassionate, to be empathetic, to have emotional intelligence. And so really, this book is for those corporate executives that are saying like, what the things that I did to get here don't work anymore. What do I need to do to make this work? And like, here you go. It's the more human side of leadership instead of the data side of leadership. This is the human side of leadership. And right now, in a post-COVID world, it's needed more than ever. Well, speaking of that, for those listening that that want to get a copy of your book or connect with you professionally, have you come speak to uh, their organization or at one of their events? What's what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to my website, thevillagemindset.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can um, buy my book on Amazon, The Village Mindset. So there's a couple of different ways to, to connect with me. All my information is on my website. You can email me and um, get in touch. I'd love to. I'd love to chat. Right. And I will have a link to your website in the show notes. And um, and just before we go, uh, is, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel uh, you'd like to leave with the audience? No, I, I think that you, that we your perspective of um, how do we lead in communities and we lead in communities by helping other people in their their most vulnerable state. I think like you are so right on. And that is that is the leadership that we need in the world, in our country, and just to lift each other up and, and help one another thrive. No matter, you know, we, we come from different cultures, different perspectives, different places in the world. We have different color skin, but like, let's get back to that. That's the space that we all can thrive in. Awesome. Man, thank you so much, Jason. This was great. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me on and for all that you do. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.